as you stand in body or spirit, we come before God's um, word, would do so very likely as Jesus and the disciples would have, reciting what he called the Shema, or um, the, later the Great Commandment. If you follow after me in Hebrew, we'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We're looking at conversations Jesus had in the Gospel of John, and this is a rather lengthy one. Jesus talks with a woman at the well, beginning in verse 4. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons, his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water swelling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't have to get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that that place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, that time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers... Uh, that God the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Probably uh, you are familiar, or at least from your time with your children or grandchildren, with the game of what's wrong with this picture. And so you look at a picture in a book and you try to pick out the things that don't really fit and don't belong there. If a first century Jewish male looks at this picture in John chapter 4, there's a lot of things that are wrong with this picture. The first thing is that Jesus is talking with a woman alone by the well. Now, as a normal 
practice, Jewish men did not speak with women in public. In fact, many of them did not even speak with their wives in a public uh, setting. But but the setting is also sort of wrong in this picture. The setting is a well. And the well, if you're familiar with the biblical accounts, going to a well in the Bible is a little bit like signing up for Match.com. Because a number of uh, our patriarchs met their spouses at a well. There was Isaac who met Rebecca at a well. Jacob met Rachel at a well. Moses himself met his wife at a well. And so what's Jesus doing hanging out at this well? There's something not quite right with that picture for the Jewish mind. But it's not just that she's a woman hanging out at a well and Jesus is speaking with her. She's a Samaritan woman. It would, it's just so difficult for me to try to describe the hatred and uh, the animosity between Jews and Samaritans other than to say to you, it is quite real and had gone on by this time. Uh, for several hundred years. Uh, the Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be uh, sort of half-bred um, because what happened is when the Assyrians conquered the northern territory of Israel, the northern ten tribes, they took the young men, uh, strong men, men who could rebel, men who would make good slaves, carted them off to Assyria, and their soldiers stayed, and many of their occupying forces stayed, and then intermarried with the Jewish women there, and so they created um, a a group of folks uh, who were born then, part Jewish and yet part Assyrian, and and the area was called Samaria, so they took the name Samaritans. Some women were actually carted off into slavery into Assyria, and there they would also wed their captors, and the children uh, were considered not pure by Jewish standards, so you had that. But then there was a long history of animosity so that when the Jews uh, fell to um, the, after the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then the Persians released them so they could all come back home. They tried to come back home from Babylon, and when they got to Samaria, the Samaritan people attacked them. Not only did, did they attack them 500 years before Jesus, but every festival when they would go to Jerusalem for a Passover or another, um, another big festival, if they passed through Samaria, the Samaritans would assault them and throw rocks at them and uh, tried to dissuade them on their journey. And some Samaritans, uh, it is said, would sneak in at night during high holy days like Passover or uh, Pentecost and uh, or the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would scatter dead bones on the Temple Mount because a good Jew is never going to come into contact with uh, something that's dead, and so they wouldn't be able effectively to walk into the Temple. Because the Samaritans had put these landmines in front of them. The animosity was quite strong. So there, were, there was this history of hatred. There was also just simple religious differences. The Jews believed that the temple ought to be on Zion, Jerusalem. And the Samaritans believed it should be at a place called Mount Gerizim. So they had different worship places. The Jews had the entire what we call the Old Testament. But the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible. So there was lots of animosity. And really most Jews who were going from Galilee to Jerusalem would like go around Samaria. They'd take the long route, which would take them uh, more time, almost equivalent to a couple days, to get to Jerusalem rather than to cut through Samaritan soil. And if they cut through Samaritan soil, when they got to Judea, they would take the dust and knock it off their feet because they didn't want anything from Samaria to come in. The hate is real. So this, this is a woman... 
and she's a Samaritan woman, but that's not all. There's more, as they say. What it is, she's got a bit of a questionable reputation. Apparently, she's going to the well at noon. Now, drawing water from the well is hard work. It's like yard work here in South Texas, and you and I all uh, know that we should avoid hard work, if at all possible, in the middle of uh, the day. And so a lot of times we try to do that work early in the morning or late in the evening. And that's also when most of the women gathered water. So she comes to the well at a time when she's not going to run into anybody, which leads to speculation that she doesn't want to see anybody because they don't want to see her. And we find out in the story that she's been married five times and the man she's living with now is not her husband. Hard to know what the issue is. Some people say, well, maybe uh, uh, she was unable to conceive a child, and so the husband blamed her, as they might in those days, and so five different men uh, got frustrated with her. That's not particularly likely because uh, the tradition was that you at least gave uh, your, your wife ten years to have a child before you decided that she couldn't have a child, and so this woman would be uh, way past childbearing age at this stage. Uh, other people suggest, well, maybe, maybe, just maybe, five husbands, maybe they all died and they weren't divorced. That seems a little bit shaky. That's almost like tabloid news possibility. We don't know. Jesus probably knew, but here's the deal. He didn't care. He didn't care. This is amazing. We're told right at the start of the first verse I read to you, it said Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, he, actually, he doesn't have to geographically. There are other ways to get to Jerusalem, but he chooses to go there because basically Jesus is going to break these barriers. He's going to break this wall between um, men and women, this gender wall. He's going to break this wall between Samaritans and Jews. He's going to break this wall between people of questionable moral reputation and those who think their reputation is impeccable. And he knocks down every one of them. Why? Well, because he's Jesus, that's what he does. But I think also, Jesus knows this about walls. They typically are put up by humans. They're not put up by God. God's not in the business of separating one group from another, accepting one, not accepting another. Even the gender thing. As traditional as that was in ancient Judaism, if you look at the creation story, uh, the woman was the last uh, last thing created. And in creation, there's an order of ascending glory. There's a way to read the scripture that said the high point of God's creation was Eve. And the word helper, when we think of helper, we think of like somebody who's making copies, going to get the coffee. Uh, and that's not what helpmate, helpmate means in uh, Hebrew. When, when Eve was created to be a helpmate, it means she's created to be co-equal, co-owner. In this, in this business of being a couple and doing life together. So you wonder how much of even the construct of, of the women's subservient place and not being spoken with is really something that humans concocted more than God. And what about the Samaritan divide with the Jews who, who created that? If you, if you go out in space, you don't seem so, see some sort of geographic divide between Samaritans and Jews. It's something that the Assyrians put there by intermarrying. It's something the Samaritans helped keep there by their reaction to the Jews. But did you know this? 160 years before Jesus, the temple on the Mount Gerizim, uh, the sacred temple, and Moses had actually blessed Mount Gerizim in Deuteronomy 27, had been torn down by the Jews. 
they actually went and destroyed the Samaritan temple. You know, they're enemies, but they each played a part in being enemies. It was human-made and human-inflicted. And so Jesus says, I'm done with that. And then finally, even this questionable reputation. We don't know why she was married five times. Jesus does. We don't. And people in the town may have thought they knew all about that woman. But did they really? Are they inside her heart? Do they know everything she's experienced? I was reading somebody talking about relationships the other day and they said too often in relationships metaphorically we go and get the attorney you know to to break up uh the relationship whatever it is metaphorically said metaphorically we should try being the other person's attorney for a while try to understand the world from their point of view try to try to get inside them as best we can the people in this town men and women had obviously not tried that with this woman And so here we are with these artificial and yet very hard divisions. And Jesus, in one moment at a well, breaks every one of them down. He knows. She's not right about everything. He knows that it doesn't really matter whether it's the temple on Mount Gerizim or the temple in Zion that something else is coming. He knows that as a Samaritan, there's a whole lot of the Old Testament she doesn't understand. He also knows that Jacob's well probably wasn't even there at that spot. That if you look at it biblically, Jacob's well was probably in a different location. That had become a tradition. Jesus knows all the places she's wrong But that's all right. One commentator put it this way. Jesus knows her fully and accepts her fully nonetheless. You see, I think a lot of the walls that I'm tempted to put up with other people are simply because I don't want to take the time to know them more fully. But if I did, what if my prejudices were reinforced? Jesus said, doesn't matter. He knows fully And he still accepts. And that's true of me. Jesus knows everything I've ever thought, done, and left undone. And his acceptance of me is complete nonetheless. And so I think Jesus is simply trying to say, you don't really know these people. And even if you think you know them, you should choose loving them and accepting them over trying to divide yourself for them. See, the Jews were real big on purity laws. So I don't want to eat any food with a Samaritan. I don't want to set foot on their property. I don't want to touch anything they've touched. And Jesus thought that people were more important than purity. And he acted in that manner. Unfortunately, the Jews would not act in this manner. There's a very famous story the Jews tell, and it, uh, it takes place after the time of the book of Acts, but it's not in the Bible. But, I, but it, they tell it on themselves, so I'm going to tell it on them for you. Um, it's, it is said that at the time of the, um, about 40 years after Jesus' death, around 70 AD, uh, there was a man who was throwing a big dinner party, and uh, he invited one of his good friends whose name was Kamsa. But unfortunately... Uh, the messenger got it wrong and went to the house of a guy named Bar Kamsa and invited him. Well, Bar Kamsa was an enemy to the guy throwing the party. So when, the, when he walks into the party, it's like everything stops. And, and he's like, what are you doing here? And Bar Kamsa says, look, I'll pay for my food. No, leave. I'll pay for your food. No, leave. I'll pay for the whole party. No, get out. And there are priests who are sitting at that table who do absolutely nothing. And they let this man be humiliated and thrown out of the party. 
Well, so the story goes, he left the party and went to the, the Roman um, uh, praetorium, the Roman fortress, and said, I, I need you to know I just came from a party with a bunch of priests and Jewish leaders. They are planning to revolt against the Romans very soon. The Roman leader said, well, how will I know this is true? He said, I know what I'll do. He said, okay, fine. I'm going to send them a, uh, a cow to, to sacrifice to Caesar. And if they do it, that means they want peace. If they don't do it, that means they want war. So Bar Kamsa hears this, and he knows how these leaders are. They're so into purity that he knows they will never sacrifice an impure animal. So on the way from the, where the animal is kept in a sort of a stockyard, on the way to the temple, Bar Kamsa is able to mar the animal's skin to where he's no longer pure. And so now the leaders... The religious leaders have a choice. Do we not sacrifice this impure animal and risk the wrath of the Romans? Or do we sacrifice an impure animal and teach our people that it's okay to be impure? They had a choice between purity and peace. Between purity and people. And you know what they chose, don't you? They chose purity. They refused to offer the sacrifice for the well-being of the emperor using this, um, this cow. And so the emperor sent the, I mean, so that the uh, governor in uh, Jerusalem sent the word back to the emperor Caesar, and the Romans came in and destroyed the temple. It didn't have to be. Jesus had told the woman, this temple, that temple, it doesn't matter because eventually the temple we all worship in is the temple of the Spirit, the temple of love. The temple of acceptance. The temple where we all belong together. This is what the Jews said when they told that story. They said the first, the, excuse me, this temple rather, was destroyed by causeless hatred. Like, it didn't have to be. And they said, but the next temple, the one that lasts forever, will be built out of causeless love. That we will love for no good reason other than just to love. It's interesting to me that when Paul looked out at the early church, he said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I think he knew the story. I think he knew that's there, um, that they knew that story. And he's saying, it's time. Let's start building this temple of love and acceptance.